few minutes to share their respective stories, their path to becoming an entrepreneur, uh, and a little bit about what their company and what, the, what they're working on now. Um, Keisha Moore is the uh, owner-founder of the award-winning eight-year-old company Hummingbird Desert, Dessert Boutique, specializing in macarons and desserts. Uh, Keisha's got a degree in food and beverage management and hospitality supervision with over 20 years of experience in the food service industry. She is passionate about business and entrepreneurship. She believes in drawing out the best in people and creating opportunities for the underserved. She's done a lot of work in this regard with organizations like the Boys and Girls Organizations, Ladies with a Mission, and various mentoring uh, programs. Uh, Hamilton Perkins founded the Hamilton Perkins Collection, which is an independent brand that designs and produces unique and award-winning bags and accessories made from upcycled materials. Uh, each bag is made from pineapple leaf fiber, billboard vinyl, fabric banners, apparel, and other advertising waste. And the brand is currently offered in nearly 150 leading department stores and specialty stores in the United States, Canada, and Europe. In fact, they have transformed 800,000 bottles into bags and over 40,000 pounds of old signs into bags with a goal of 10 million bottles and over 500,000 pounds. Uh, Hamilton was awarded a uh, equity uh, free grant as the winner of the Virginia Velocity Tour hosted by Village uh, Capital and the governor of Virginia. And he was also honored by the nonprofit Bee Lab, which named uh, Hamilton Collection as, as the best bee for overall uh, corporation in 2017. Um, Hamilton has been mentioned in Forbes Magazine, New York Times, Money Magazine, The Washington Post, his past plant work includes Hewlett-Packard, Nordstrom, Target, Dow Chemical, Oracle, Paramount Pictures, Amex. You get the picture, Ellen. Um, uh, and our third panelist is Adrian Dews. Um, Adrian, I hope I don't mispronounce, Championship yep. is the name of the company. Okay. Um, at the 22 years old, Adrian and his close friends founded Championship. Uh, and after getting his bachelor's in business and marketing, Adrian has cultivated his business acumen. He and his team have pitched to over 100 investors. They've gotten flown out for meetings. They've competed at many local accelerators. They've done customer discovery courses, been approved for grants, raising an angel round of investment to building out an MVP that will be ready to deploy in a month's time. Uh, Adrian enjoys entrepreneurship and takes it very seriously. And he wants nothing more than to pave the way for the next generation of innovators that want their dreams to come into a reality. So, um, join me in welcoming our panel, and you guys can take it in whatever order you want in terms of, of sharing your story. And then we're going to open it up for questions from, from, from you all. So we'll keep it informal and, and, and really looking forward to it. Thank you again for, for joining us. Ladies first. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, hi, I'm Kisha Moore, and I am the founder president of Hummingbird Dessert Boutique, which is a luxury dessert brand. Um, not to be confused with a bakery because it's more than that. It's a company. We do a lot of corporate events, corporate um, shipping nationwide, and um, and it is a way for me. You know, you've got to know what your what your thing is in business. I like creativity, and this is a way for me to express art. So dessert for me is a canvas, and our team we work really diligently with flavor. We use locally and thoughtfully sourced ingredients for our product. And, um, and really for us, it's a way in which we get to be involved in different conversations. Dessert is a part of just about every function. 
and and we had the ability to meet some really amazing people as a result of it. Um, get to really involved in the community as a result from it. You know, we have a brick and mortar as well as our e-commerce platform online, um, and it's amazing when you're in business. And I and I would say that when you when you're when you're best in class, and that's not said with any kind of like pride. It's just said because it is a work to be in that place, and it's something you have to maintain all the time. But what it does is it allows our company to make a huge impact, not just locally within our city and in our region, um, but I've had the privilege of speaking to other panels, working with you know two administrations, Republican and Democratic, um, because business is and around regardless of who is in office, and that's been something important for every business owner and entrepreneur to know, um, and that, that our voice is important and the lives that we touch are important. Mentoring uh, um, young entrepreneurs and other people who are in business is important to us. It's something that we are heavily involved in and have done since the beginning of the company. Um, our, my goal is to expand the, the business um, through the nation, to open up, we have plans to open up six other stores nationwide, and also um, to expand globally within the next 10 years. Um, when you guys ask questions, we'll get more into it. I'm not gonna, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm Adrian Dews, Jr., CEO and co-founder of Championship, and basically we're an online casino platform. So how many of you all heard of FanDuel, DraftKings, right? All right, cool. So if I were to put out terminology like uh, parlays, straight bets, money lines, how many people understand what that means? Okay, see how the, the hands went down a little bit? So basically what we do, we're, we're bridging the gap between novice and expert gamblers. So if I were to ask you the same question, like, hey, I want to bet, Joe, I want to bet you $50 that the Lakers are going to beat your heat tomorrow night, how many people understand that terminology? A little bit more hands? Okay, great. So that's basically what the problem that we're trying to solve is that there's a lot of novice bettors that want to get into the gambling industry, but they don't want to go through the pester of understanding how certain terminology works. They have to either lose money to understand the platform, or they have to do a lot of research, and that takes time. So um, just being an entrepreneur, basically, I started when I was first, I started my first business when I was 17. Uh, I, I, I made like a, a clothing business, but I saw the margins. I didn't have the capital to really distrib distribute as much shirts as I wanted to. So later on, um, I got my bachelor's degree in business and marketing. And then it dawned on me when I was at work one time, you know, that I was working at Steel maybe 72 hours a week. And I was a full-time student. So it was really difficult, you know, stressful time. And um, I went to the bathroom one day, and I heard two um, two fellows uh, talking amongst them, themselves, talking about that they were going to stay at the job for like 20 years or so. And that came out to me like, I'm like, I don't think I want to be here for <laughs> 20 years. So um, I went back to my station, and I was thinking of every single problem that I could possibly solve. And sports sports betting came out to me because in 2020. Um, well, 2019, when I, when I thought of this idea, um, it wasn't legalized here in Virginia yet. But I did some extensive research on it, and it was looking like it was going to get legalized in a couple of years. So I'm like, okay, let me hop on this now before everybody tries to tries to get on the wave. And then I came to find out that there wasn't a head-to-head -head, uh, concept. It wasn't a peer-to-peer -peer concept. It was more so expert-driven. So that just you know made it even more of an opportunity and segue for me to kind of you know, reconvene with some of my friends and try to figure out who had the skill set in order to make this, you know, come into reality. So um, at first it was like a think tank of 20 people, 
uh, at college, and we conducted these meetings, you know, maybe five five times a week. And then as time went on, we kind of like cut out some of the people that didn't really have the value at that given time or their skill set didn't align with our goals. And then it kind of withered down to about five people. And that's one of my co-founders right there, uh, Lana Coleman. So um, she's our she's our COO. And um, another thing that I would recommend if you're starting a tech company to definitely have somebody that's well-versed in tech. So I'm really fortunate to actually have a CTO who's had the background in building out applications, building out websites, and understanding all that complex terminology when we have meetings and, and discourse with different tech companies, you know, based out in India or even even in the domestically in the, in the US. So that helps a lot. And um, I guess, you know, uh, one of the hardest things I would say for me is understanding that there's not multiple me's. And basically to, um, in layman terms, uh, everybody's not going to put the work in in your business as you would. Because uh, it's not, like I'm not gonna say it's not their child, but they're not you, they're not gonna, they're not gonna operate the same way that you do. So that's a little bit of things off the top of my head over that. Hope that gives some value. Uh, yeah, so my name's Hamilton Perkins. I'm the founder of Hamilton Perkins Collection. Uh, we make upcycled bags from pineapple leaf fiber, billboard, old apparel, plastic bottles, a uh, little bit of everything. I'm an entrepreneur. I've been, um, my background, I came from retail, so I, I've always been a kid that loved uh, stores and creativity and always like daydreamed about like being a designer, I guess, but uh, found that I, my path would be a little bit different. I worked in banking for about six and a half years, worked in eight out of 10 lines of business, uh, got a chance to, uh, you know, travel a little bit through uh, getting an MBA with, at Women Mary. I uh, got a chance to, you know, go to China and go to Europe and consult over there and learn about entrepreneurship with on an international level, uh, came back to the States, um, you know, ended up leaving my job, eventually launched a crowdfunding campaign. That's how we started. So we uh, had a $10,000 goal. We hit the goal in about six days, uh, shipped about $25,000 of pre-orders from that campaign and launched our first brick and mortar pop-up at Bloomingdale's and 59th Street in New York City. Um, we did a series of pop-ups at Bloomingdale's um, in their Soho location, 59th Street location. And along the way, I uh, started getting involved with the startup and somewhat of the tech scene a bit, you know, bouncing around to pitch competitions and, uh, you know, raising capital from investors and, you know, learning the ropes. And eventually, I uh, got a small seed round uh, closed and began to build. So. Uh, took a trip to Haiti where one of our factories and one of our suppliers were uh, based at the time. Got a, got a chance to go on a delegation trip that was pretty much life-changing. I mean, just got a chance to tour uh, the artisan sector and uh, got to stand in the largest landfill in the Caribbean. Um, now, when I was 14 years old, I asked my mom, why don't more people recycle? That was like my thought process. So, like, seeing it come full circle, like, years later to kind of, like, see that there's companies that that's like their sole mission and you know there's like a human element there's an impact element and that's what I observed there um, it, it was uh, very intense um, but nevertheless came back to the States I was really energized again and started selling into stores so uh, took advantage of you know trade shows there's 
shows all over the country for the type of products that we make. These are the products that we make. <coughs> and the way it works is you show up with uh, a sample. So I can show up with one bag at a time, one sample, and something called a line sheet. And I present that to a buyer, and the buyer can make a decision and say, oh, this is a great concept, or you know, I'll pass, I'll let me get back to you next season. So it took us a little bit of time to get some adoption, but uh, at a point we probably started picking up about 10 retail accounts roughly for every show that we would go to. So we would go to New York, we'd go to Vegas, LA, Atlanta, Orlando. These are kind of some of the hubs. There's even a couple here that um, come here a couple times. I don't know if they're still around, but um, fast forward, being in proximity is like very, uh, it, it's, it rubs off on you, I guess is the only way I can put it. I stood in so many small business owners' stores that it just rubbed off on me. I'm like, why don't I open a store? <laughs> and so uh, we did. So we opened a store a few years ago. We opened a pop-up store that was really supposed to be an experiment. In fact, we hosted this event, what was that, three years ago now and uh, in our store. But we basically use it as a test bed. We learned so much. We learned uh, about the customer. We learned why customers buy our products. Um, you know, we upcycle a, a lot of those numbers. I got to update those numbers because that one store, we collected over 50,000 pounds of signs just in that one location for the duration of that pop-up. Um, it ran for about, I'd say properly ran for about a, a year. Um, it was open roughly for about maybe 15 months. With the, with, crisis, with the crisis hitting, we decided that we would close and kind of focus more on our partnership business and the channel of um, you know, kind of like corporate development. So we work a lot with uh, Fortune 500 companies. So we've, we've worked on tons of projects from, uh, you know, Coachella, like doing projects for large organizations. Uh, we do stuff for agencies. We just recently shipped uh, for Hanover Insurance. Um, you know, we work with a lot of financial institutions. We work with nonprofits. We work with a lot of companies here locally. You know, we work with, um, you know, tons of uh, organizations here. You know, we work with fest events here locally. We work with uh, the zoo here locally, and so many more. You know, even individual customers will bring us uh, their old signs. Sometimes, sometimes they have a sailboat um, business, and so they have like tons of sails that they'll bring to us, and we'll upcycle those. So it really is, you know. We just want to focus on the idea of like reusing, um, and pretty much 95% of our product is uh, recycled, or I should say upcycled. We're trying to take it from the original value and add value. We're not necessarily just trying to um, have it be the same as when we, we uh, received it. Um, we're a small team. We've got a designer, we've got a social media uh, person, we have someone helping with pictures and photography, and you know, just general like virtual assistants. So, you know, really lean. Um, and I think, you know, we probably can open it up for, for questions. I'll probably think of some other stuff. Sure, terrific. Okay, we're gonna go ahead and open it up for questions. Um, just go ahead and raise your hand. And, and if you don't mind, just in, identify yourself and what company you're interning for. And if there's a specific person you wanna address the question to or all three, let's just keep it informal and uh, keep the conversation going. So who wants to go uh, first?
Well, I've got the most mistakes probably on the stage here. <laughs> I don't know. Um, okay, sorry, I, I got sidetracked. So, so the question is, what mistakes have have I made? So, uh, a lot of mistakes. I, I mean, I think about, um, I think about just you know, not tracking, uh, not not tracking textile purchase orders properly in the beginning and you know it's their word and my word and we're just like okay well it was delivered well was it delivered or not and if you're not real you know if I'm doing something that's more creative and design driven and I'm not like actually seeing did the did the thing make it to the destination and I'm not like having a system in place you know that's a mistake so um, there's mistakes like that that can be costly um, you know, there there are, I say like, I, I call it more, that's probably somewhat of a micro mistake. I think like larger uh, mistakes that I would say I've made were, I don't feel like I read enough in the beginning. I don't think I, I think when I was like, you know, like a younger person, like I feel like I, uh, like when I came out of, out of college, I felt like, okay, I'm kind of done with this chapter. So I'm selling all my books and you know, just let's just learn in the real world. And I think there's a place for that. But I think if I could go back, I probably would have kept those books and I probably would have bought even more books. You know, now my library is like, you know, growing. But I think that's another like, I'm not going to say it's like a huge mistake. It's probably like a mid tier mistake. And then I say just like largest mistake is not, um, kind of already doing what you all are doing like you know shout out to my Port of Virginia crew over there that's like you guys are like you know huddled up there and like when we met you know I got that connection but it's putting yourself around people that are like doing what you want to do and like are already maybe like you know maybe to third base they're almost to home I think if I could go back I would have put myself in more communities now I'm in a bunch of communities so I, I hang out with all kinds of entrepreneurs that are better than me smarter than me you know raise more money than me like mentors just lots of people that have um, you know they've got their own mistakes that I can learn from and so I would say that's probably the biggest mistake that I could have that I made was just like trying to do it more solo more all alone versus like being in a uh, like a community um, I have some I've made huge mistakes like I've had major failures um, so I'll tell you about the most recent mistake we had and what we had to do to correct it. So the goal for our company is that whatever it is, if we're shipping something, it's no matter what it takes to get to the end user, we will absolutely do it. And, and so we had a very large order for Ferguson Enterprises. They had eight corporate national events across the country and we shipped our product to each of those locations. Well, in May, we had a shipment that went out, and uh, because the date in March and May were the same, and those MAR and MAY look similar, our team put in the destination to the March delivery and not to the May delivery. And, and so when we called to verify you know, the address, and we'd already shipped it, they were, they were like, oh no, that, you mean that's going to um, Atlanta? So I had to get on a flight and I, sh I, I, I hand delivered those macarons to Atlanta um, 
and actually let me back up we were actually on our way to florida <laughs> and i had to fly up to atlanta to then to, to drop this off so that's one mistake that we were able to recover but they happen and what i tell my team is that if you're not making a mistake we're not learning we're not growing and you're not doing something our pursuit is not perfection it is excellence and excellence is something that you must maintain consistently over a period of time that's one. I've learned that because I actually had a bistro before starting this company 12 years ago that um, started off really successful. We had some good press. Um, there were some things that happened within the, the center that we were in. Um, and so I ended up having, I ended up closing that business. When that happened, I felt like such a failure because when you're high and you feel like you're getting notoriety and then something like that happens, I literally was like, floor open up, swallow me up, and I don't ever want to mention this company ever again. And so when people are like, oh, did you own so-and-so? I'm like, who are they talking to? <laughs> I'm like, no, I don't know who that person is. Are you kidding? <laughs> and so it was like a really big deal. Um, I went into litigation. So I'll just give you a brief story about this because at some point, one of my mentors said that at some point in business, you will enter into litigation. It may be big, it may be small. Um, and so I moved, we opened up inside the shopping center and we had a, um, an agreement because we were a small startup that there could not be another food business open up in the shopping center because it's hard already to navigate it. There are already like three other food places in there and they're like absolutely not we're gonna put retail in blah 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 they began to get into trouble the shopping center financially and brought in a larger food company literally two doors down from us doing the same thing when that happened our sales dropped and as hard as we worked it was just really hard to overcome what that was at the time and so um, that company then went into foreclosure in their shopping center sued every tenant and um, <clears throat> for different things. At that point, because like you was young, didn't know about, you know, underfunded in some ways, it just really up against the wall in a lot of other ways. Um, I got sued by that company and Bank of America in the same month for $250,000. And that was a lot to deal with at that time. I countersued. So it's good to have an attorney in your neck with you. The first thing that I did when I opened up my company, both of them is I had an accountant and an attorney. Um, and so I had an attorney who was very good. We countersued for breach of contract. Bank of America immediately pulled away and they did not pursue it. Um, but I still went to, into litigation with the other company. And we won that lawsuit, but it was a lot of work. At the time that that was happening, I also opened up my current company. I, um, as a result of litigation, also had to reform my former company in order to go, in order to pursue that. And so within two months, I was closing a company and opening a company at the same time. So, um, so that ended up being my biggest failure and I guess my greatest success, but it is real, it happens. And I think I would say to you all is that failure is going to happen. The biggest stress you're gonna put yourself under is to think that it's not. So if you can just get that out of the way right away, and it, however that comes, you will be able to deal with it if you if you set yourself with resiliency and tenacity to know that you're going to make it no matter what it takes some failures though are necessary that may not be the company that takes you to the finish line be okay with that you know you've had other failures in your life none of us have made it this far and not had some kind of thing to happen right business is the same thing it's life happening just in another form
So thank you for asking that question. I'm, I, I'm vulnerable now. I can talk about it. Now when people say, oh, did your own terrible? I'm like, yeah, you know, <laughs> this is what happened there because now I'm on the other side of it, but that's real. So. <laughs> yeah, so um, just to piggyback off of what she said, uh, I look at mistakes as um, learning lessons. And the more learning lessons you get, you know, the more knowledge you're going to obtain, uh, especially in entrepreneurship. So you should be looking forward to mistakes because um, it's going to build character. It's also going to build up your foundation in your company. Um, unfortunately for us, we haven't had too many uh, huge learning lessons, but I guess the, the number one I can think of is when we first started, um, we didn't really understand that law firms are businesses and these people are like hyenas. So they were exploiting us. Um, you know, we're a young company. Um, I would definitely recommend doing as much research as you can before you reach out to a law firm and ask mm -hmm. them to do the research because you can't monitor their billable hours. You can't do anything. They're just going to tell you, hey, like, you know, we work 70 hours on this. I'm charging 375 an hour. And then they'll send you an invoice. Um, and just to even go further on that, I remember um, one lady had the audacity to call me and introduce herself. And that's all she did, and she charged me seventy dollars. I called her back, and I was like, "Take it off the bill." And she <laughs> took it off. But yeah, like they'll they'll try to pull things like that. And um, we ended up having to pay like fifteen thousand dollars. And some of some of the research was uh, something that we like some things that we didn't uh, find out on the internet. Uh, but a lot of it was stuff that was just open to the general public. So we didn't really see anything that was special that they did. So that's fifteen thousand dollars that just came out of our pocket could have been allocated towards something more reasonable. Um, but fortunately for our company, um, we were able to surround ourselves with mentors. Um, like one of the one of our main mentors came from uh, Norfolk State University um, and he joined many accelerator programs. So we built like long lasting relationships with these people. We, we contact them like every every other week and uh, we just well, not just recently, but we've been in uh, 757 uh, Startup Studios. I don't know if you all know them. But we've, we've been with their program for about, uh, I'm going to say, eight months now. And they've just you know, brought forth many people that complement mm -hmm. our, our company's weaknesses. And um, that, in turn, helps mitigate you know, just the, uh, <coughs> being able to encounter issues you know, in, the, in the future. So um, being able to talk with like, a lot of entrepreneurs you know, that's um, had their companies acquired um, you know, at a certain level where they've gone through a lot of um, adversity. They've had a lot of shortcomings, and being around people like that, you're able to learn uh, basically everything you need to know not to do. So that, that in turn helps save you a lot of money, save you a lot of time, and it can also, in turn, we, we were in a customer discovery program and um, a lot of companies that attended that program had their uh, their ideas either validated or invalidated based on what the customer uh, wanted. So some of the companies, the customer uh, may not see as something that's valuable, and some others uh, they'll see something that's valuable. So that saves you a lot of money, a lot of time, and, and stress. But um, as far as learning lessons, uh, I believe that's as far as I can go. Other questions? <coughs> Let me go ahead and pop one out. Mm -hmm. um, what do y'all enjoy most about entrepreneurship, and, and what do you find hardest? So what I enjoy most about um, entrepreneurship is the impact that you get to make. You know, 
business is purposeful, it should be. And whether it's you know, something you create or your resource that you use to make transformational decisions, um, it's really important. And the fact that you can, that you create money and jobs off of an idea. Like, you know, I tell my team just when we're having meetings, everything, you're sitting in a chair that was somebody's idea, the carpet, everything in here was someone's idea that produced money. This, th this was paid for, you know? And, and that's something, to be able to do that and have a mind to do that is powerful. Everyone is not designed, to, should not be an entrepreneur. Um, it is, it, it takes, again, like I said, a lot of tenacity, a lot of resiliency, um, making the right connections, and even sometimes making the wrong connections. I've learned that um, in life, you can look for the good in everything, even though at first it may not appear that way. Um, and then just shout out to Hamilton. This guy right here is the smartest man I've ever met. Um, he's like real low key, but I met Hamilton because we were, um, we did a photo shoot together. So you huh? make me blush. But no, no joke. Listen, we have had conversations and I'm like, I'm better because I know you. He and his wife are amazing. Um, but like surround yourself with people who are like this. What book are you reading? Like those kind of challenges, you need to be challenged all the time. Because there are times when I find myself, like you, you can like you're doing so much that you can kind of get in the doldrums and you get in your own little bubble. And it's good to have people around who are doing things. So you're like, oh my gosh, they're running! You know, I gotta, I gotta catch up. And so that is the greatest thing. What was the other question, Barry? Um, the other part of that question. What do you find hardest? What I find hardest. Hardest is taxes. <laughs> it's fair. <laughs> okay, so I have this like running joke. I have mentors just like I'm sure most of us up here, um, definitely find mentors who are like in another stratosphere. It will definitely take you far in great organizations and um, very knows like Greater Norfolk Corporation, you know, there's people who surround you and really build you up. The hardest thing though really is um, when you realize your money is not your own. So as much as I said, it's like, you know, you make the money, but the government has a lot of oversight in your money. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's like true. literally they track everything you spend that you bring in and so my biggest thing for me is it's like but I made the money now I'm like giving away like 40% of it um, and so you know there's like that whole thing but it really is um, a mind spin because you're working hard and it's something you just have to deal with but it's it's a reality dealing with um, money employees and the many things that go along with that. I have 10 employees, employees now. At our highest, we had about 20 to 22. Um, and so there are challenges there, even with HR involved. And so um, the hardest thing is gonna have to be your mental dexterity. You need to keep your mind sharp. I had a conversation with a friend of mine who's a major in the Air Force, and she, we were talking about how people say, most businesses fail in the first three years, right? Cash flow issues, uh, work, and we were like, is this, this right here? If you don't have that together, all the other things that need your company to work, they're not gonna work anyway. Because this has caused more people to close than any other thing. What it takes to be in business <coughs> mentally is like running a marathon every day. You should know that up front and then decide I'm willing to do it. Uh, so uh, I guess like one of the, 
the most exciting things of entrepreneurship is knowing that there's so many different companies out there. You know, you can go from uh, ox- oxygen in a bottle to somebody just selling ice and making $3 million a year off mm-hmm. of selling ice. So um, just being able to meet so many different innovators and um, people that have, like, just, I, I have ADHD, so I have a constant distillation of thoughts, like, all the time. And uh, being able to translate that into entrepreneurship and meeting people with the same kind of backstory as me is inspiring. So, um, and then just to go on some of the hardest things to deal with is, again, like I was saying earlier, being able to understand that there's only one you. So in order to really optimize, uh, you know, the output of your team, you have to really understand people. And um, you have to be able to, you know, complement their weaknesses, understand their weaknesses, and understand your own weaknesses, and making sure that they're able to complement those. So being able to find your team, uh, put the right frameworks and systems in place in order to continue to build that foundation up. And then once you get your investors, your mentors, then um, they will be able to provide more resources to help your company just shoot to the stars. So. Um, like even even in terms of just like the camaraderie at uh, different like events, like black tie events, going to uh, you know entrepreneurial uh, showcases, and being able to meet certain people there, just so you can be able to obtain more knowledge from all these different entrepreneurs. Everyone's path is different, mm-hmm. and I think that's one of the main um, kind of lessons that you have to learn. You can't really compare yourself to other people, but you can learn from their mistakes, and I feel like that's like one of the most valuable lessons. Yeah, Yeah, I think, so the question is, what's the favorite thing about entrepreneurship? Um, I think the coolest thing is that you get in this business what you become. So what, even to what Kish is saying about like your mindset, it's like, I think back on our Kickstarter campaign, it was 150 orders. And that seemed like just, it, it could have been a million to me because it was just like 150 people literally that I didn't know had like bought this product that I designed and so then the next kind of big thing there was an order from uh, I think I mentioned it about uh, for Coachella and that was like um, it's been a few years so I'm trying to remember but I want to say it was like at least 3,000 orders and it took three factories to get the order across the finish line but each time it was like I had to kind of raise my level of personal development to be able to handle it. Ellen calls or emails. It didn't even look real when it came in our contact form. It says, hey, we, we want to order over 35,000 bag, uh, bags from you guys. And I'm just like, you know, floor, my lip is on the floor. I'm trying to get it up. And uh, I thought it was fake. By the way. I, thought, I thought someone was like trying to like spam me or like <laughs> gonna get me to do some like two-factor authentication gonna steal my password and something because that happens too but um anyway had to had to grow to be able to ship that you know had to grow to be able to um you know i, I don't necessarily have a, a team in-house but just like i look at my factory network as like you know those are like my mm-hmm. leadership team that's like my generals because i'm i'm dealing with all the factory owners at this point and so Again, it just took. It was just cool because, had I not grown in the situation for that Coachella order a few years ago, when it was very stressful, 
I wouldn't have been able to handle the Ellen order and the Ellen order has prepared us for the next thing and, and it's just that it's just this continuation um, I'd say it's a probably a double-edged sword so what's like you know the hardest part um, I would say for me is probably um, I don't want to say comparison, but I think just like managing one's own expectations mm. and running your own race. And it probably is like a subtle, hard thing because it's easy when your friends are like, oh, yeah, no, we're, we're going we're going to Outer Banks this weekend. Like you, you trying to go pull up like, no, yeah. like I'm working, you know, or, you know, we're going up to New York and then we're going to go to we're going to go to Coachella. Like we're going to go to Burning Man. We're going to go to the Hampton. We're going to we're going to go do something fun. And you just—it just seems like everybody's PR in their best life. Like everyone's like hopping off of private jets, and everyone's got like diamonds, and you know they're in like the coolest clubs. They're popping bottles, and it's just like, man, like what am I doing? I'm in a landfill, like trying to like clean up. A, what is going on? So like I say, for me, that's probably the hardest thing. Um, I think over the years I've gotten better with just practical things. Newsfeed Eradicator. Mm -hmm. So if you haven't heard of that one, use it. Newsfeed Eradicator, so you don't see stuff that you don't need to. Um, timers on social media. Yeah. So I got all my all my apps have timers. I get locked out after a point, and you know, my that's just my reminder and wake up call to you know stop scrolling. Um, so yeah, that's, I think those are the two hardest things. Turning for me. notifications off. Oh, all notifications all off. Um, nothing. <laughs> it's got to be like. A fire pretty much to make it through you know yeah. like I can't just have constant pinging because it just takes you away I mean if you I, I mean Cal Newport writes good work on this called deep work he talks mm -hmm. about just you know blocking things off I I mean even at this point I, I can't do anything like meaningful during the day yeah. like all my deep work comes at night yeah. like during the day I'm like I'm responding to emails I'm trying to you know like put out different fires by the end of the day everyone's like you know they're at Coachella I guess and you know they're at <laughs> events and stuff but it gives me time to just sit back and you know do meaningful work like really uh, push the push the ball forward that's good I think it's important that you know it is a discipline so I, I just met Andre right today Adrian, Adrian. Um, and Hamilton's gonna get mad when I hype him up again, but this guy's the most disciplined person I've ever had in my life. I've learned, you know, like, just, just to be very dedicated about and, cover, and governing your time, but still getting stuff done. And it's good to know that somebody does that. I'm not necessarily wired like that, you know, but when I see it, it's helped me as a business owner know to say no to things that are necessary. My no is somebody else's yes. And that could be another business that's similar to mine. We can't do that, but I can refer you to so-and-so and they can handle it for you. Um, but turning the notifications off forces you to go in and engage it. So you'll need to like really look at your distractions and the things that eat your time to be, to be, to maximize your best. Who here has ever played on a team, like a sports team? Okay, same kind of discipline, right? So I think that sometimes, like you're saying, the falsehood on social media is like everybody's out playing. Like all the business owners are really doing that. I'm thinking the, the real business owners are doing, they're not doing that. I haven't met one business owner I know. My friends that have multi-million dollar companies and, and so on, they're still putting in the work. Now they have time that they play, but it's still, 
it's it's discipline time. Like it's 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 time that they set aside. So, um, but if you've been on a team, the discipline is going to be the really a, a, an important thing. Yeah, and I'm even going to piggyback off of what she just said. Just being as intentional as you can be, because if you are at the forefront of the company, if you're in the C-suite of the company, then um, anyone else that follows suit is going to want their life to be better if they're going to end up following following you. So um, just an example of that, uh, we had a presentation uh, that was built for five people. It was like a, a I think like a 16, 17 minute presentation. And our mentor said that uh, only one of you has to do the presentation. Can we learn about this? You know, maybe, you know, it was last minute. So I had to allocate 80 hours just to understand the presentation like the back of my own hand. And, you know, there was times, you know, it's like three in the morning and you're studying and uh, it got to the point where like, you know, I'm losing my voice, just talking to myself mm -hmm. over recording myself say the speech. But um, it's those times that I need it because like once you once you get that win, it feels so much better because you know where you came from. Yeah. You know how you know how much work it took. Like when, when people weren't there looking um, at what you're doing. So uh, just being intentional is extremely important mm -hmm. in any kind of business venture. That's good. Other questions? just because I think it's important to share our accomplishments so you know where you need to go, right? So one of my mentors is actually um, the top pastry chef in the world, Antonio Bashur. And, and he and I were having a conversation one day, and I said, uh, this is many years ago, when I first met him, he was like, how do you have a, a shop and you only sell dessert? Because most dessert places have some kind of anchor that's food, right? And he goes, he's like, are you sure you're going to make it? I was like, I'm going to make it. I was like, this is what I believe is going to work. And um, he says, I look forward to seeing how that goes. And so over the years, you know, just keeping in touch and him looking at stuff on Instagram, he is amazed by that. Someone else's doubt in you does not dictate where you're going. Um, I think you, Hamilton said, your, your, your race is your own. Um, there is good to, it's good to have wisdom from people, but I knew that there's certain things in my company that are necessary, and so we're closed on Sunday and Monday. People are like, you should be open seven days a week. If you're open seven days a week, you make more money. I said, no, our customers know if they don't come in on Saturday, they have to come back on Tuesday. <laughs> you know, you, you, we just train that because for us, knowing what it is that we need to do and part of just how I built the team, I needed my team to all have a day off, the same days off. I don't want my phone necessarily ringing because at some point, no matter how high up you get, your phone's going to ring. And so I need everybody to be off. And so for, for us to all to get a complete rest, so we show up at our best. And so those were all things that people were like, it's not going to work. You know, how's that going to play out? How's that going to play out? Um, it's because it's how you design your company with the wisdom that people give you. I just, I believe that you should work smarter and not harder. I've seen people burn out over some dream that they thought they wanted and then they get to retirement and they can't even enjoy it. I don't want to be that person. I don't want my team to be that person. 
I want my team to know that they're valued, respected, and I got to do that. Every time somebody dealt something, I'm kind of like the kid that's like, ah, well, this is what we're going to go out and do, you know? So, um, but yeah, it's kind of my story about the, the nose and it's not going to work. Um, but again, remember, I've had some failures, but, you know, that, that, but that wasn't part of the nose. And the, just so I can recap, so the question was about how you turn a note no, into yes. Yes, yeah. Got it. Mm -hmm. y yeah, I think I think it's industry. It could determine, like, it, it could matter on the industry. You know, for example, like one thing I notice, you know, in other industries, like let's say uh, let's say like real estate or something. Um, you know, if a hard money lender tells you no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that might be a sign that that might be a that's a that's a tough deal to try to work on but you know like for like our uh, like active space like what we do that i mean it's almost like if they say yes it's almost too easy you know <laughs> like because we <laughs> like that's too easy because it, it's probably like already been picked over you know so we're trying to do stuff that like people every factory that we we work with and that we we work with now like they didn't they had never really worked with signs of any sort, you know, like this is the this is the actual stuff here. So, I mean, they're like, well, we can't sew it. You know, it's not the the needle's not going to work with it. And, you know, I just said, well, let's just try. And if if it isn't, then we'll send you something else. But I think just you have to you have to be willing to overcome an objection, mm -hmm. I guess. You know, I think about a lot of like events or opportunities where you know I'm, I'm trying to maybe have it I want to be there at the event you know I, I still do uh, live events I'm, I'm a big fan of live events you know I haven't been out like probably since like a couple years just with everything going on and so you know one example is like I found an event this is one of the first events that I'm getting ready to do coming back after like you know a long hiatus from it and you know the initial answer to me was like no we're full we don't have enough spaces but I just kind of stayed persistent I just said well okay um, could you put me on a waiting list you know if there's someone you know drops out and you know they're not able to show up like let me know I'll come I'll come out mm -hmm. and you know that actually ended up happening and you know that particular event you know it was wasn't like the biggest event in the world but it created you know sales it created uh customer relationships leads i think i even got a wholesale order out of it you know so it it all depends on you know the situation i think self-awareness like yeah. you know look at what is it that well, what is your goal you know like is your goal to you know i think you said you're in the accounting you know mm -hmm. space so like if you're doing something in that space you know is it going to be a lot of like red tape? I mean, I worked in banking, so I mean, we're kind of adjacent, you know, everything was always like no out of like compliance and risk purposes. Like we were told no, like, you know, cause I was inside, I used to work at a bank. I worked there for about six years, six and a half years. And I would just try stuff. Like I was like creating newsletters and trying to make like, you know, entrepreneurial companies. Like I was trying to do, do stuff. And it was always like, well, we know, but the reason was, it just was like maybe like we didn't know they didn't know how it could be done so sometimes you got to show people how it can be done yeah and uh just get you know just get good at sales i think too when it comes to that like there's a lot of good sell like sales material 
that you can find on YouTube. There's lots of people that are just like ninjas with sales mm -hmm. that you can learn. Um, even um, trying to think of this program, they've got them in every city. It's uh, Sandler Selling. Sandler Selling, I want to say. Mm -hmm. um, lots of you know, just like really good, just strong, tried and true, proven sales uh, templates. Because the no's will come. Um, I think anticipating and in, in to what Adrian is saying is like even being intentional. So knowing that it's going to be a no, you know, knowing the prospect's going to say maybe, knowing they're going to say I need approval, knowing they're going to say it's too expensive, knowing whatever that objection is going to be, and then already having your uh, your rebuttal ready. You know, I, I know you think it's too expensive, but it's actually not. This is the price point, or I know you need approval. So what do you think that person is going to need to make a decision, or you know, just anticipation, but being intentional too. That's never split the difference that one's good too I can only imagine this that's got to be really good so it's similar in his just his book and his quote is no means go give him the background on who Chris Voss is Chris Voss was an FBI um, nego hostage negotiator pretty well known the book for me was a game-changer um, so again negotiate as if your life depends on it and what's really cool about it is that he has some really neat nuances in there so say like you're negotiating and someone's like oh it's gonna be 150,000 he's like always come back with like 147,038 cents yeah because it throws our brains off and people are like what like what just happened but it's a good book you guys get a you know add to your to your reading list we've got uh, time for maybe one more question yeah yeah I heard you guys uh, mention that you know sometimes along the path of entrepreneurship people don't really believe in you or they may have different suggestions for what you guys do um, in your own experiences when did you know you were on the path to where your heart wanted to go and where you wanted to be, you know, five to ten years from 
I couldn't sleep at night. That was mine. Like, I was trying to, like, kind of follow this, like, plan that was, like, handed to me, you know? Like, I mean, I I went to, I mean, I went to school. I, I studied. I tried, I, you know, I got this job at a bank. I was, like, doing pretty good, you know, relatively good. And um, I didn't see a way for me to ever become CEO of that company. Like, I just, just wasn't really a, a way, like... I think if I was lucky, I probably, I don't even think I could have made it into the C-suite, like, in a reasonable amount of time, you know, because, and going back, going back to the nose, it's like, you know, it's like the background, and like, you didn't go here, you didn't do this and that, and I just, I got to this point where I had been working so much on, you know, my, you know, my business, my dream on the side, and it's like, Someone says, what is it, like, wages will make you a living, but, you know, mm -hmm. profits will make you a fortune, you know, and it's like, I couldn't sleep, like, I literally was just up at night, and the way it just worked out, I mean, just by God's grace, it was like, just perfect timing, I had a product, had people that wanted it, collected almost 50000 in, like, 45 days from pre-orders and grants and all kinds of things that, um, you know, just made it just a no-brainer for me because I knew in 12 months like what I was gonna make was just it, it couldn't compare it gave me a way to like have a run rate in my mind you know coming from you all's world you know you all are always talking about what's the run rate gonna be and you know what are the projections and this stuff so it's like I just looked at it I say from a you know into into it I'm an ENFJ so I, that's my Myers-Briggs mm -hmm. and I'm a D on the disc assessment so I'm I know myself, I know that I need to be, I'm partial, I think, but I'm, I'm a feeler too, you know, I'm, I'm very like in the middle, so I just knew at that point, like, it, it's just like one night in particular, I was just up, so that's how I knew. So I'm actually a ENTJ. ENTJ, yeah. all right, well so, shout out um, to the E's and the... Right, so I'm a, I'm a thinker and uh, intuitive as well, but mainly I'm obsessed with winning and the process of winning. And I, I feel like I'll do anything it takes in order to be in that top 1% where I know I'm doing what 99% of people aren't doing. So I'm always trying to figure out, hey, how can I get uncomfortable to the point where that specific scenario doesn't feel uncomfortable to me anymore, and then I move to the next scenario. So now I'm adding all of these different you know, skills and circumstances that I can just operate as if it's second nature. So I, I feel like that you know, helps, helps the business and it helps the people around me, you know, just as much. Um, for, I'm an ENFJ. Are you really? Yep. Oh, really? And I'm a D. And if you're, if you're into Enneagrams, I'm an eight with a wing seven. So <laughs> does anybody know what the Enneagram? Okay. I'm not familiar with that one. So, um, so that's like high competitive. I'm the one that's going to like challenge challengers. Got it. Um, for me, how I knew that this was it, I Sam, I stayed up all night, but there was a synergy about what was happening. Um, it was like, you know, like you reverberate at a higher frequency. It was just that things came together. Um, the work was there, the contractors were there. Things just fell into place in a very necessary way. Beyond that, I stay challenged. 
Like this business, it's not like I go home and be like, woo, that was a piece of cake today. You know, <laughs> I'm just gonna sip this margarita and we're gonna have a good time tomorrow. I, I know that this is working. I'm challenged every day. I love it. I thrive on it. Um, you know, I, I wake up and like, this is it. There's something new, something that needs to be readjusted or, or recreated or another adaptation. There's change happening because you know, change is an ongoing thing. If you open a business, like I just wanted to be like this, I don't want anything to happen. Be careful with that. The change is, is ongoing. And so that change, it, 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 it excites me. I'm like, we're going someplace, we're doing something. We have projections, we have um, goals and they're in place and it feels just amazing. The people we get to connect to, um, everything that comes into it, it's, it's such an amazing journey. Like. Even even sometimes the bad that happens, everything about it is like I see the splendor in that in that day. This thing fell apart, but to find that one good thing and know, like in your soul, I was born to run a company. Um, I would I the thought of going to work someplace right now. I've you know I've worked for myself for twelve years and provided an income for other employees. The thought of doing anything else right now is so beyond me, I would completely fall apart. I'm like, look, check me in someplace <laughs> if I've got to do that. It doesn't mean that I won't work with companies. Just the thought of working for a company and not being able to have that creative ability to grow something would completely shut me down. How about a round of applause for our panel? <laughs> uh, let me just real quickly share a couple of maybe takeaways that I wrote down uh, from this. I know some of you are thinking, well, you know, I'm not really cut out to be an entrepreneur, I'm not going to be an entrepreneur.